Hey everyone, welcome back to Keeping Pristine, a monthly podcast dedicated to exploring various marine and environmental topics through a youth perspective by the Pristine Blue Initiative. The Pristine Blue Initiative is based in Toronto and dedicated to bringing together a team of like-minded individuals who want to do their part in conserving our blue planet. Our organization highlights many issues, including, but not limited to, the decline of marine wildlife, the rampant pollution of our water bodies, promotion of marine literacy among the urban audience, and raising awareness. Let's get going and jump right into the episode for today. Welcome to episode 12, and thanks for joining us. The weather has been getting really, really warm lately with heat waves after heat wave. But hopefully, the weather gets better as the fall slowly comes around. In today's episode, I'm joined again by Sarah, who was in episode 8, Environmental Impact of COVID. If you haven't listened to it, definitely check that out. Sarah is here today to talk about her current position as a project scientist for Azura Group Inc. and what she does on a day-to-day basis. She'll be talking about environmental site assessment, ESAs, and why it's important for environmental work. Without further ado, let's get started. Hey, Sarah, how are you? Hey, Da, I'm doing well, keeping busy. I'm excited to be here again. How are you? Glad to have you here. I'm doing well. I'm just trying to enjoy the weather as much as possible. Um, The weather is actually pretty nice lately with lots of sunshine uh, compared to earlier in the summer with lots of rain. Uh, even though it's really hot with the heat wave, but it's a bit better than the rainy weather early in the summer. Yeah, it's been very hot and dry the past like three weeks. Yeah, but now so it's like pouring it's... rain. Yeah, come on, rain, just rain more and more. Let it rain, let it rain. I also been going camping lately. I uh, went camping last oh, weekend. That's cool. Also going camping this weekend, so it's gonna be nice to get outside and just to enjoy the outdoor. I think it's been a long year for many of us. I know when people hear that I'm environmental scientist, they think I'm all for the outdoors and camping, but I'm not really comfortable with camping. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a different experience for everyone, but definitely something I recommend to check out. Thanks for joining me today. It's good to have you here. So I know that there are many pathways a person can take to work in the environmental science field. You have chosen to work in the environmental consulting sector. Can you tell our listeners what that means? Yeah, so an environmental scientist can mean so many things. Usually people think of environmental scientists as people working in conservation authorities, trying to rescue endangered animals. But environmental consulting is another sector, part of environmental science, and it's customer-based service. So Mm -hmm. as an environmental scientist at Azure, I get to work with people who are buying or selling properties or redeveloping properties. That involves a great deal of environmental work, I would say. That's super interesting. It sounds like it's related to the real estate sector a lot. Give me a little bit more detail. So what does the environmental work you do involve? Yeah, so most of our work is related to Ontario Regulation 15304. So the reason that uh, yeah the, the reason that people come to us is because they have to because of the law, Bef- like before you buy and sell or before you redevelop a property into like a condo building, yeah you need you need to get us to be there to do an environmental site assessment and that everything that we do is outlined in Ontario Regulation One Fifty Three Hundred Four. 
which is regarding environmental site assessment, or mm -hmm. ESAs. So before a person or a company buys or redevelops a property, they need to contact us to complete a phase one ESA. Mm -hmm. And this is basically like a background check about the property. Yep. We, we look at what it used to be in the past, plus what it is nowadays. And we, we combine all that information to determine and see if the property is clean or mm -hmm. contaminated because of its past use or maybe present use or maybe, you know, the neighboring properties, what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So, Bill, like there has been like spill or any pollutions that was on the site in the past, something like that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, so if the property is clean, uh, mm -hmm. we don't have we don't have a reason to keep going. So the person can go on about their work. But if we have to a reason to believe that it could be impacting the health of individuals, then mm -hmm. the property can be is moved on to phase two ESA environmental yeah. site assessment. So this one is more intrusive because we go back to the property and we drill a number of holes and wells and we test the soil and groundwater conditions at the property. We don't use those wells for drinking water. So <laughs> we, we use those to determine if the water is clean or contaminated. That sounds super fun. Um, do you actually get to see the contamination when you do some of these drills and this process? Uh, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. The soil mm -hmm. can sometimes smell like petroleum, for example. And so, huh. and even during in the water column, you can see petroleum layer. But oh, wow. uh, so, some other contaminants, uh, you can't see them, you can't smell them. We can only trace them by uh, what comes out from the lab. Okay, so if the soil and groundwater come back contaminated, we have to move on to do remediation work or risk assessment mm -hmm. work. And remediation, yeah, remediation can vary from being very simple procedures to very complicated procedures. The remediation procedures that you choose to do, it really depends on what contaminants you know you're working with. The phase two would, would tell you exactly what contaminants you have in your soil and groundwater at the property. And you have to decide what measure, how to perfectly attack this contaminant and degrade it down. You have things like excavating the area. If it's a small area, then you can literally just excavate this whole area down to the depth and just clean it and then fill it back up with clean material. And then you, you take that material to a landfill. So that's an easy way. You know, it's a more straightforward way of doing the remediation. But then there's other approaches like uh, installing something called injection wells where in the area that you know that is contaminated and you inject chemicals into the ground to a specific depth that you want, that you know the contamination is at, and this chemical treats it over time. But you have to you have to come back every few months to check back to see that it's actually working. And uh, yeah, it can be like it can be from very small scale operations to bigger scale. There are so many factors. But ultimately, the process of remediation is to clean up the contaminated areas as best as we can. And mm -hmm. if we can't clean it up for some reason or other, we can go with the risk assessment approach. Yep. Which is basically when you, it's when you implement ways or measures to make sure that no humans, animals, plants can be at risk from this contamination. So finding a way to contain it to the mm -hmm. property and making sure nobody is, is in contact with this contamination. Cool.
and very populated places, um, usually the desired areas are on the lake shores. Are yep. I know I know as much as you do, so I know I know that definitely Portland's <laughs> all of mm-hmm. the you know all of the Toronto because uh, they wanted to emulate Chicago. They wanted to have a nice harbor that had everything. <laughs> all the they had yep. all the oil oil refineries right on the lake. So there you go. That's why it's contaminated. There's also Hamilton. Hamilton Harbor is uh, like mm-hmm. that. And Burlington Bay is known for being uh, contaminated as well. So similar things, I think, especially um, in the past, let's say before the 70s, they must have been, you know, they oil refineries because it was easier to transport things by ships and uh, trains as well. There's, there used to be a, a mm-hmm. bigger train network, but I I don't know enough to form, um, you know, spatial uh, clusters and things like that because, yeah. uh, like I said, I my job is to help clean the environment one property at a time. And the more <laughs> properties, the more properties I visit, the more I will know. And uh, my boss, my superiors, they definitely know a lot more because what they've seen, you know, they know yep. especially um, even when we drill. Uh, there are some places like Oakville where the bedrock is really shallow. So mm. these are things. These are things you gain with practice, definitely. That's really interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually. Like, good to know because I, I heard about EIAs all the time. Because uh, at the park that I work at, they also do a lot of EIAs and BIAs. Oh, uh, that's different. Practices. Yeah. Yeah, that's different uh, from this. That's yeah, it's envi- a little bit environmental impact assessments. Yeah. This is yeah. Uh, the one you do is environmental. Environmental site assessments. Site assessments. That's right. ESAs. Okay, yeah. I got a middle mixed, but it's something I guess is like similar in in some sense, but not completely the same. Not completely the same. Yeah. Um. There's also another thing: environmental assessments. So EAs. Yeah, EAs. I've heard well. of those. Those ones are yeah. all. Um, those ones are reports and studies that you do before you build the property from like so. A land that has not been developed before, EAs is what you do to determine what this project that you're going to to develop on this property, how is it yeah. going to affect humans, animals, plants? How is it going to affect them all before you even build anything? Mm-hmm. So it's not the same. Yeah, uh, the context. Usually, yeah, usually they're done for you know before they they build a mine, for example. Yeah. You need to know exactly how this mine is going to affect the environment, um, mm-hmm. which is also very important. And there are environmental scientists that work with that, but that's usually government work. Yeah. And uh, our money. <laughs> yeah. For me, it's like public and private sector what I, where I work. Yeah. Uh, so it's not related to the government and in, in directly. But cool. uh, we deal with properties that have already been built and we're trying mm-hmm. to manage, we're trying to mitigate the risk of impact to other properties. So, you know, we, we work with the properties that have been developed that yep. may be contaminated. And then we try to work with that and see how best we can, we can try to clean it up. So it, it is a regimented system. So the regulation says you have to go from phase one environmental site assessment to phase two environmental site assessment to phase three. So phase three is the last step is the remediation everyday life we say remediation but mm-hmm. it's actually a phase three so to clarify phase one is 
you're not drilling anything, you're not collecting any samples. Um, it is just a background check on the property itself and the history of it. So it's a basically a, like a desktop review. So we're just, uh, you know, this is, this is a report that we write that summarizes what it was in the past, what it is today, whether it's likely to have contaminants or be contaminated through other uses. Back when it was, uh, you know, back when it was crown land, you know, farmland, till it was developed today, till uh, all through different stages of developments, you know, if it's been, if it's definitely a Toronto property, a downtown Toronto property has gone through many, many, many developments, uh, many different owners, uh, many, ha many hands have, have gone through that property. We, we have different resources. So we have uh, a lot of resources we can use and we can get that let us know what this property used to be back in, uh, you know, especially if it's downtown Toronto, it's, uh, there's a lot of records that go back mm -hmm. way back and, uh, from, you know, from the 1800s even. So we know exactly what it has been. And then we interview somebody at the property right now, what it's being used for nowadays. And then we use all the information that we have to decide if there's any chance that it could, it could be contaminated. Hmm. If it's not, it stops there. We send them, we send the client our phase one report and yep. whoever it is, the bank, the city will, will accept it and they move on. But if there's any chance that we find contamination, then we have to do a phase two. You know, when our team goes back to the property, we drill a few holes and then install monitoring walls. And then uh, we, we install them strategically in the places that we think could be impacted. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we send, we, we collect samples. We send those to the lab. When we get the results, they, we will find out if the samples were impacted with yep. the contaminants or they are not, they're clean. If they are clean, we are done with the phase two. <laughs> and so we send the, we write the report, we send it to the client. If, if it's not, so we find out that the samples are not clean, then mm -hmm. we give the client an option, options of how to have to go forward. Generally, and most of the time, it's remediation work. So mm. we, we go back and we either drill more boreholes to find out exactly the extent of the yeah. contamination, where it's going. Is it going to the, to the neighbors? You know, is it affecting the neighbors at all? Is it coming from the neighbors? We need to find out all these things. And then we'll find out exactly how we're going to treat this. Are we going to dig up this whole area and remove that impacted material? Or yep. are we going to install inject injection wells? There are generally two approaches. So there's like something called in situ and then there's ex situ. So in situ means in the ground, you're treating it. Yep. Ex situ means you're excavating the soil, taking it out of the ground and then doing something else with it. Either you take it to a landfill or you try to clean it, you clean it, and then you put it back in the ground. So mm. there's a lot of ways, uh, very, very uh, complex that I don't even know about. There's the remediation is a very multifaceted field and yeah. it can be very tricky. It can be very tricky, especially when it comes to lawsuits, all these things, because uh, who's going to pay for it eventually? Who's yeah. going to pay for it and who caused it? And it's a very hard thing to track. Sounds like but a, a lot.
steps. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know too much about that. I'm still I'm still in my early stages in this career. Mm-hmm. But super interesting to hear about it and just get a better yeah. sense of what you do. And remediation would be the phase three. So remediation once, phase you clean, three. once you clean up the property, then you send them a report summarizing everything and saying it's clean. You yep. can go ahead and do your thing. Oh, super cool. Yeah. But you can't like you can def- you, you definitely can't do a phase two without a phase one. Like there there are you, you have it is regimented. You have to go about yep. it and 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 the right way. One, two, and three. Yeah. That's super interesting, and that's a process that happens for most development out there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. for sure. Yeah, and they hate it. Like our clients hate it. They don't want to do this. It's like going to the dentist. Yeah, they don't want to. They don't. They don't want to pay for yeah. our services, but they have to, which is why we exist. <laughs> yeah, cool. So it's something that that happens, but many people don't really know about. That sounds really intricate. Just to um, another question is. To do this job, anybody would they require a master's degree, or what program funds like what program should people do at school? An environmental science degree is uh, definitely the way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally completed a master's degree in, in environmental science, and I took courses that are geared towards this. But even my master's degree, it can take you to many different avenues of environmental science. I just chose to pursue the consulting sector. But if you if you do a Bachelor of Environmental Science, that you have some courses that you can take that cover this. And yep. so my advice is for somebody who wants to be an environmental scientist, specifically in the consulting sector, is mm-hmm. to go ahead and read Ontario Regulation 15304. And as well, the, the new regulation that came out in relation to that, which is Ontario Regulation 406-19. That one is about the use of excess soil, the soil, uh, you know, the transportation of soils and the testing procedures of it. But if you read uh, Ontario 153.04, that one is uh, specifically about environmental site assessments. And this is what consulting is all about, uh, specifically in Ontario. So every province has their own procedures, but in Ontario, this is the regulation that we follow. And if you are really interested in, um, in pursuing this sector, uh, you should uh, definitely have a, a read. I know it's a, a bit dry to read the, a regulation, but it helps you really understand uh, where everybody's coming from, uh, why we need to do the work that we do, why it's important. And if it, if it helps, if you have any, if you have any courses, if there are any courses offered that relate to contamination, contaminants, uh, migration of contaminants in the, in the environment, these are all very, very helpful courses. Just adding on to that a little bit, like what does your work look like on a typical day? The cool thing about consulting is that you never know what you'll be doing next day or in a couple of days or a week. Uh, there's a lot of uh, variety. There's a lot of spontaneity. So some days are a very uh, office space. Others are field space. Some are in between. The cool thing is that it's never dull. And mm-hmm. the time management um comes into play a lot there are so many you know you have to start you have to juggle between going to the fields going back doing your reports finishing finish mm-hmm. them on time and of course for us as a client service industry the client's happiness is number one we try to maintain those client relations 
whereas and the government is not the same but it's different for the private and the public sector especially if the public because you have shareholders uh mm -hmm. expense, right about yeah, what you yeah. do you need to get their permission to do things you need to all these things sometimes it can be overwhelming but you, you learn how to how to manage your time how to manage your projects and then how i how i get jobs it depends on what kind of, what kind of calls we get at our company you know what kind of requirements our clients have to fill our we, our work takes us everywhere so we you know we've we have uh, work all over the all over the province and that, that's another cool thing if you like traveling there's a lot of traveling there's a lot of driving like the duration of it you can have some very short jobs or just a one day thing you can have week long things or even longer than that so that's pretty exciting i think that sounds really interesting <laughs> yeah my favorite part of this job is not knowing what i'm what properties i'm going to visit and what history i'll find there um i find that really exciting getting it's it's kind of uh if you think about it it's kind of like investigative you try yep. to find out exactly you know what happened here what's happening now what's the source of the contamination or any other things like that cool i like to think that i'm helping the environment one property at a time <laughs> <laughs> Our work is very important and it will only continue to grow. I honestly think that this sector will continue to grow. Cleaning the environment one pop at a time. That sounds like a great slogan. Yeah, I guess so. Thank you so much for joining me today, Sarah. And thanks so much for sharing with the listener what's like to work in environmental consulting. My pleasure. I, I hope uh, to see this industry grow and I hope to see more people uh, gain interest in it lots of new knowledge and i hope many listeners out there would love to pursue and try this career for their future that's all for today folks i hope you can join us again for another exciting episode thanks for listening keeping pristine was produced this month by frank Grow, edited by both sarah shana and frank Grow, based out of toronto ontario hey there Hope you enjoyed this episode of Keeping Pristine. Let us know if you have any suggestions or topics you want us to do in the future. We'll be sure to have more podcast content coming your way. Again, remember to stay in touch with the Pristine Blue Initiative team on social media. If you haven't already, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Remember, we're also available for listening on our website, SoundCloud, and Google Podcast. Until next time. It's uh, August 29, 2021. Everything is going well. <laughs> cool. I need, I need to redo that section. Sorry. <laughs> no, the world is on fire. <laughs> We're dying. Let me do that again. Clean the environment. Cleaning, cleaning. I can't think of questions on the spot. I'm, I'm terrible with questions on the spot. <laughs> That's I'm good. Just... I answered everything. Bye-bye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>